Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In our Old Testament lesson, we heard how the nation of Israel, that is, the northern kingdom, also called Samaria, after its capital city, had defeated the kingdom of Judah in battle because of Judah's great sins against God. Israel had planned to subjugate them to take them as slaves, to put them to work, and to take their possessions. Yet this itself would have been a great sin, and so the Lord spoke through the prophet Oded to warn them against it, calling on them to treat them as brothers, not as long-lost ones or as ones far removed, but as family whom they loved. In our gospel, a lawyer, an expert in the law of God, came to our Lord Jesus to put him to the test. And so he asked him, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He wanted to catch the Lord in a way so that he could turn the law against him, find some fault in his answer, and therefore denounce him as a false teacher and a false prophet. This was the purpose of all of the tests from all of the scribes and the Pharisees and the legal experts. But our Lord knows the hearts and intentions of mankind, including this man. He knows the purpose of the test, and so he turns it around on him by asking him to answer his own question using only the words of the law. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And so he answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. The lawyer had answered correctly. He certainly knew the law, that is, the first five books of Moses, the Torah, well. He could correctly pick out the two greatest commandments, those on which Jesus himself had said hung both the law and the prophets. The lawyer obviously knew his scripture, since he took these two answers, these two commandments, from different books of the law. If you look, you won't find them side by side. The first comes from Deuteronomy, and the second comes between different laws in Leviticus. He correctly identified that these two commands were the greatest commandments, the sum of all the others. And this is why our Lord responded to him, Do this, and you shall live. What a weighty thing. Hear how the holy law of God speaks to what these commandments require. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. How great is this love? Have you considered all that this entails? What is it to love the Lord with all of your heart? It is to love him beyond all other things, beyond even yourself, your welfare, and your life. It is to love him more than any created thing or creature, for God is their creator and is due far more love than they. To love him with your whole heart means to forsake everything else rather than him. It means you would rather lose friends and family, prestige, appointments, land, employment, wealth, and everything else 
before forsaking God. It is to cling to him and to love him in a way that is beyond the love of all others. The same as with loving him with all of your soul. In the scriptures, the soul is often used as a synonym for life. To love the Lord with all your life, with all your soul, is to put him first in all decisions, to consider him and his will and his law, for these are his delight, and they come from him. So how, if we love him, can we desire to go against them? To love him with all of your strength is to use your body, that which God has created, to serve him alone. To not use your body for evil, but for good. To not use it against his commands, but to fulfill them. To love him with all of your mind is to do the same with your mind and mental faculties. To, devote, to not devote them to sinful things or things that tear down, but rather to devote it to God, to his word, and to fulfilling our vocation in his service. Truly, the love that is called for is great, and how can it not be, when he is God, the only God? We do not expect our love for our spouse to be divided with others, nor do we expect our spouse to divide their love for us with others. How much less should we expect our love for God to be divided? No, truly, it must be a full and all-encompassing love. And surely, if we think about this, if we meditate on this, if we look at this in all honesty, and then look at our lives, we cannot but acknowledge that we have not fulfilled this, that it is far above us, that we have not loved God in this way, and that we are in dire need of his forgiveness, mercy, and grace. The lawyer in our text, however, did not seem to consider this fully. He seemed to think that he had already fulfilled the first and greatest commandment, and so desiring to justify himself, to see if he has fulfilled the second as well, he asks our Lord this question, and who is my neighbor? Rather than our Lord giving him a direct answer straight away, he tells him the parable of the Good Samaritan, so that he may answer it himself. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came down to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The one who acted as a neighbor was the one who acted in mercy. He was not a neighbor to the man because of where he lived. He lived in one of the villages in Samaria or 
in the city, Samaria itself. He was not a neighbor to the man because of religion. There were great religious differences between the Samaritans and the Jews, even though they both claimed to worship the same God in spirit and in truth, and, is, and charged the others with having a corrupt scripture and corrupt teaching. He was not a neighbor to the man because of where he came from. He was a neighbor because he was in his presence, and so he had mercy on him and loved him as himself. What an example of perfect love, love for one whom he has never met, and if they had met under better circumstances, they probably would have hated each other because of who they were. Truly, who can love like this without God's grace? The lawyer, who cannot even bring himself to say the word Samaritan, must have thought of all the times that he himself passed by such a one and did not have mercy. Moreover, how many times have we done so? O Lord, have mercy upon us sinners. And our Lord does not pull any punches when speaking with the lawyer. Instead, he lays out everything as it is. But in this way, he has also told the lawyer where his only help lays, since he has not fulfilled the law. Indeed, he tells us this, too, through the parable. Yes, in this parable, the good Samaritan is a representation of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Incarnation, one who was hated by others, whose ways are seen as strange, and yet one who perfectly loves both God and his neighbor. He loves with great love, perfect love, divine love. He fulfills the law in love. Yes, our Lord Jesus is the one true philanthropos, the true lover of mankind. For all of us children of Adam lay on the side of the road of life as victims to sin and the devil, who was a murderer from the beginning. And in such a state, we were unable to help ourselves, to save ourselves from our fate. Indeed, the priest and the Levite, which represent the law of God, cannot save. They pass by because we cannot fulfill it and thereby gain life by them. As St. Paul wrote, if the inheritance comes by the law, then it no longer comes by the promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. In fact, if we tried to save ourselves by the law, we would end up in worse shape by our striving, just as the man in the parable would have, would have done if he tried to get up and continue his journey to Jericho. We would end up full of deadly pride, thinking that we had fulfilled the law, or we would be full of despair and anger towards God for setting a standard that we could not meet. But see how the man does not even call for help to the Samaritan. He is just there, unconscious, lying on the side of the road. Rather, the Samaritan comes to his side to help him. We could not on our own call to Christ or come to him. Rather, he comes to us. He comes to us to save us, to help us when we were helpless. When he saw him, he had compassion is what our Lord says of the Samaritan. There is no free will in choosing him, but rather him calling us and coming to us with his healing medicine of his grace. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. 
Then he sat him on his own animal. See how it is that it is he who does everything in his care for him. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. Indeed, this is how Christ our Lord has dealt with us poor, miserable sinners. He comes to us through the preaching of the gospel and through the sacraments to attend to us. In the ancient world, oil and wine were staples of medicine, the one for soothing and the other for its antiseptic properties. The oil is certainly the gospel of pure grace, which points us to Christ as the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who has won our salvation and who, in his love, has done all things for us, the gospel which points us to Christ as our only comfort and as our Savior. The wine, then, represents the cross that all Christians must carry. It stings, it hurts, but through it, because of the Holy Spirit's presence and work in us, our sinful flesh is mortified, that is, it's put to death, so that it may not harm the new man, and that we may be sanctified, made holy through it. Finally, we see that the Samaritan takes the man that he found on the side of the road and brings him to an inn, where he himself cares for him with his own hands, but then he cares for him through the work of the innkeeper. For he brought him to an inn to take and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. That amount given to the innkeeper was more than enough in the currency of that day to care for the man for about two months, for all that he would need to be perfectly healed. And where does the Lord take care of his people besides his church? Just as the Samaritan cared for the man whom he had rescued personally and by means of the innkeeper in his stead, so too Christ cares for his Christians, whom he has rescued from eternal death in his church. He charges his pastors to take care of his people, to continue to give them the healing medicine of the word. This parable aptly pictures the church in its truth. It is a hospital for sinners. And since our Lord has so loved us and so cared for us, since he has done all that is necessary to save us from beginning to end, since he has rescued us and redeemed us and demonstrated and continues to demonstrate his great love for us, we too love God and our neighbor. Go and do likewise, our Lord commands. For although we are not saved by the law, the law is still the will of our good and gracious Lord. And so, as those who have been saved by God through faith according to his grace in Christ, and as those who have been renewed by that same grace in the word and sacraments, by the working of the Holy Spirit, we seek to love him who loved us first, and to fulfill the law of love by loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so who then is our neighbor? How did our Lord's parable answer this? Does it mean that everyone is our neighbor? This is often how it is thought to mean, but is that the truth? Was the man, while lying on the road, the neighbor of the entire city of Jerusalem? Was, the neighbor of the, was he the neighbor of the entire city of Jericho? No. They did not know him. They did not see him. How can someone you do not know 
nor can you know, be your neighbor. Does this mean that a person halfway around the world is not our neighbor? Yes, they are not. However, if you find yourself halfway around the world and come across them, then they are your neighbor. Or if they make their way here and you come across them, then they are your neighbor. That is how our Lord answers the lawyer here. Your neighbor is anyone, no matter who they are, no matter their relationship or lack of relationship to you, no matter their religion, no matter their background or anything else, our neighbor is one who is at hand. Whoever is close by, whether they belong to the community or are passing through it, or whether you belong to the community or are passing through, if they need help, then they are your neighbor. These we are to love as ourself. That is, we are to love them in accordance with the second table of the commandments, so that we would take care of and protect our own bodies, chastity, possessions, reputation, and relationships. As we would protect those things for ourselves, we would do the same towards others. That is what it is to love our neighbor as ourself. On one of the main concrete ways we exercise this is through almsgiving, so that the poor and the needy have their needs met for them. For God has given us all things pertaining to life and salvation, and he has done all of this without any merit or worthiness on our part. So should we share what we have through love for our neighbors. May Christ our Lord, the true good Samaritan, the true lover of mankind, ever work through us and motivate our love to those around us. May he keep our love burning and not let it grow cold, so that our faith remains firm in him, so that on the last day he may raise us up to life everlasting, a life wherein our love will have finally been perfected in us by the Holy Spirit, a life of perfect love and service without end. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.